and welcome to Elixir Talk, where we present a little bit of Elixir and a lot of talking. My name is Desmond Bowie, and I am joined by my co-host, Chris Bell. Hello, Desmond. How are you doing? Pretty well. How are you doing? Pretty well. I'm pretty good. I have had a full day of writing code in Elixir. Writing code? Writing code. Who would have thought I'd be doing that again? But it's uh, been very enjoyable. I've been writing um, Absinthe and GraphQL all day which has been great, mm-hmm. and it's very fast, and I feel very productive, and writing lots of tests. So, yeah, life is good. So, I have a question about that, about Absinthe and GraphQL, but first, um, why don't you tell our listeners why you're writing code and why that's a big deal? Oh, yeah, so uh, did I not tell everyone? I can't remember. Maybe maybe you did, but maybe some people are tuning in for the first time. That is true. Okay. Uh, so I recently changed jobs. Uh, I was at Frame.io for two years um, and I decided to take the plunge and go back into early startup life. So uh, a few weeks back, I actually joined a healthcare company called Muru uh, and we're building apps for paramedics is the long and the short of it. Um, so the company is founded by um, a guy who was a paramedic for 13 years um and we also have another like emt kind of paramedic on staff as well as a subject matter expert and what we're trying to do is really give paramedics really good access to information through a search interface um so we're building up native apps to support that they're all going to be offline and have a search engine and basically like a bunch of index content on a device and then I'm building out all of the back end in the API side and as well as like a authoring platform and a web layer as well. Cool. And you're using Elixir. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it's been interesting actually because I, I, I actually made this decision that I wasn't going to do it in Elixir. Um, mostly because I was thinking about like, what kind of team do I want to grow here? And like, what do I want it to look like in a few, like in a couple of years? And something that I thought I wanted to do was do like a full stack JavaScript team. But I I spent a lot of time like kind of thinking about that and thinking about, you know, what that would look like if we did it and like where that would be a good choice and where it might not be a good choice. Um, and I did a bit of a SWOT analysis and I thought a bit more about myself and where, you know, I have some expertise in hiring in Elixir and have been doing this for a while. Um, and ultimately, I decided that uh, it was a good technology choice for the company to actually invest in Elixir. Um, and I, I've actually been writing up a bit of a blog post about like the decisions I made there and the process I went through to think about it. Um, Mm -hmm. which ties in nicely with having Ben on the show uh, last week as well um, about adopting Elixir and all the the kind of decisions you go through when you're doing it. Because I was looking at like libraries, I was thinking about concurrency use cases, I was thinking about like where would we take advantage of this ecosystem and where would we take advantage of like the beam basically. Um, And then something that struck me was like, I was talking to one of our like technical advisors and he was like, well, why don't you use the JVM? And why are you doing it on the beam instead? And we've already got all this Kotlin code. Can't we share a bunch of stuff? And like, we had a big discussion about like what we could share and what we couldn't share and what would be good to share and potentially what are the like upsides and downsides of doing that. But yeah, it really struck me that like 
if I would have just said like, oh, we're doing it in Rails, we probably wouldn't have had that conversation. Uh-huh. Right? I, I, I feel like I wouldn't have got the pushback, which is really mm-hmm. interesting. And it was it was an interesting journey to go through like someone's bias towards this technology and also recognizing my own bias as well, right? Like I am clearly someone who would want Elixir to be in a stack, right? But um yeah, it just struck me as interesting about like still we we are in a community that is young, is still looked upon like, oh, that, that's like an outlier in terms of technology choices. And why would you be picking that? You know, like, um, so going through that whole process and kind of putting together a compelling argument for why this is a good platform to go with and a good ecosystem to choose was, was a good exercise. I haven't done it for a few years. So it was, it was cool to go through that. And also like, reflect on how far the communities come and how much like like the realization that like elixir is a mature technology choice now mm-hmm. it, it may not be like 100 percent mainstream but i made this argument that it's not a backwater language anymore either you know like we are i i basically looked at it like I know we're going to have some scale at some point, so we're going to have some challenges there, and there is no way that I would want to pick a language like Rails or Python to deal with that. Uh, sorry, a language like Ruby and a, uh, a framework like Rails or a language like Python or something like Flask or something like that to deal with it. Um, so yeah, this is why I ended up with this choice, and now I have been moving ahead with building a GraphQL API in, in Elixir. So, so you started... Uh, you started off the bat with Absinthe and GraphQL. Yeah, yeah, totally. Just picked that up, went for it from day one. But um, we have two and two other engineers here, so I got their blessing and like buy-in, and we all kind of agreed that um, GraphQL would be an interesting and potentially good technology choice for us, given that we're a cross-platform from day one. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, it's been a... I don't know. I've, I've actually like I, I enjoyed making the argument as well, which is weird in some ways. But uh, I, I felt like actually like looking at it from an outsider's perspective was was good, and it's actually given me a different perspective on the community. I think in some ways, and like and the ecosystem. But I like I, I made this this uh, argument as well that was basically like. We need to build very reliable systems that are powering like literally life or death information for paramedics. It's like there's a really natural like fault tolerance kind of leaning there that we have to kind of buy into so and lean into. So that that's been cool. Yeah, I mean that came up a couple of weeks ago when Martin Sumner was on the program talking about how they use React at um Britain's National Health Service because I mean, what a bummer if you go into a hospital and they can't pull up your records because the database is down or something. Yeah, exactly. And like, I, I think there's this there's this really nice synergy here with like Erlang was developed for like EMS systems anyway for like like the nine one one equivalent in Sweden, right? Like, so mm-hmm. I think like thinking about powering. Uh, an EMS like we're not doing dispatch or anything like that but we're actually providing data back to the paramedics so um, there's definitely like a use case there that's really interesting and has some really nice like historical parallels so I I lightly enjoyed that angle though that was not like a main selling point or anything for why I thought we should adopt it so 
So are you hiring? Should our listeners get in touch if they want an Elixir job? Honestly, no, not right now. Like we are, like when I say the early stage, I'm talking like there's three of us. Uh, there's actually <laughs> five now. Like we, we made some hires. Like it was three uh-huh. when I joined. So, um, but that's it. The team's like built out. We've got to, we've got to take a product to market. We've got to prove it. We've got to build something that's scalable. We've got to sign some contracts. We've got to get paying customers and then we'll see how we get on. And hopefully I'll be hiring in a few months. But, uh, until then, I've got a very busy summer building out this whole platform and, uh, taking it from nothing to something. So it's, you know, it's been really interesting, like joining a company with no, uh, no prior like technology choices on the back end, right? I feel mm-hmm. like so often we go in and like people are talking about adopting Elix- like Elixir as a, you know, as a next iteration of their API, like we did at Frame, moving from Rails to Elixir, or, um, you know, or you're maybe you're building like one other subsystem in Elixir or something like that. But doing it greenfield has been um, kind of interesting, and I, I don't know, I've in- I've I just enjoyed the process of going through the analysis. So yeah, and I I mean I've talked for a long time about how I think the growth is going to come from companies like yours that start in Elixir as opposed to migrating over. Because migrating is a tough task. If your company is at all mature, you never fully get there. And I don't think you ever really realize the benefits. Well, I mean, you realize some benefits, but it's it's hard to move a big application over to a new language. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like, I think so much like looking at what i'm doing right now which is like laying the groundwork for this fan- for this application and thinking through the data model and it's like it's it's funny to think about how much of this stuff like like the half life of this code right and like in most organizations it's i know we're always like oh well every organization is just going to rewrite all this stuff but like i don't know i feel like the like the stuff that you lay down in the foundation and the beginning especially the data model hangs around mm-hmm. for a really long time and like yes, actually does. can be the death of the company in some ways, you know, or like really hinder your ability to make progress and iterate quickly. So I honestly, I actually think I've spent more time thinking about the data model than I have in some ways the technology choice. Um, and something I was thinking is like, if Elixir turns out to be a horrible data, like tech choice, although I strongly don't think that's going to happen like rebuilding it with a sound data model is a lot easier than it is like trying to cobble something together with a really backwards data model that's been you know iterated on over time where you're like adding fields here and there and like it it ends up in this like weird bastardized like world and only one person really understands it you know that kind of thing yeah i've been in that situation right and like i'm not saying that like trying to get it perfect because i'm i totally i'm pragmatic enough to understand that like there is no perfect right there are going to be decisions here that are bad of course but there's lessons learned from other companies i've been at where trying to model subscriptions differently trying to model like roles and permissions these are all the things that i feel like break down in a lot of systems over time um so trying to be focused on like understanding the domain as much as possible to lay down a good like solid foundation to build on top of but yeah cool man yeah so that's it that's where i'm at and uh yeah i've just that i mean i think absinthe is is good tech like it just works like there's there wasn't that much that's been difficult um i'd say like some of the documentation could be a bit more built out but i'm also buying the 
book, the Crafting Elixir APIs with Absinthe book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard very good things about that, and I'm hoping that that kind of fills in a few of the gaps. Um, but like, the only thing that's been a bit rocky so far is like laying down tests, like integration tests for it. Um, I, I feel like that could be a bit easier out of the box. But other than that, things seem to just work, which is nice. Um, I haven't done anything too complex yet with it either. Um, I've been looking at some of the like data loader concepts, which is all about like removing M plus one queries in your um, in your resolvers and your schemas. Like um, something obviously that comes up all the time in GraphQL is like you can have arbitrary arbitrary nested objects inside which end up doing m plus one queries so uh data loader is like a technique for dealing with that um that looks very promising so i've got to do that next so yeah have you played around with this stuff i haven't i've never written a graphql api Uh, like honestly like i i'm so i'm doing like weirdly the front end and the back end kind of simultaneously i'm trying to take like verticals and do slices of the app so like I just like I started with auth because I needed to to unblock one of the other engineers. I wouldn't have normally done that, but um, I'm building out this like backend system with auth as uh, it's like like a admin system with the auth as well at the same time. So I get to like build the GraphQL API, switch over to React, write the Apollo client implementation that consumes that as well, right? So it's been kind of cool doing that like full stack vertical, and then also talking to the uh, to the mobile engineers about like how they should integrate with it and uh, and like getting them started as well. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's nice all being at the same point and like you know everything going up together. Yeah, figuring it out together with other people on the team—that's cool. Yeah, definitely. And like honestly, like this part of the system, like our like our biggest challenges are mostly around like modeling data, m- modeling like medical procedural data into a format that's sane and standardized. And then uh, we can build like tools on top of that's our, that's our big challenge right now. So I'm trying to get my head in the domain of uh, emergency medicine, which I have never done before. And, uh, drug names still are very difficult for me to pronounce but hopefully that will get easier with time so yeah Mm -hmm. i'm sure they'll come to you in your sleep (laughs) yeah probably yeah what about you man what's new well i have a summer project of my own um i was happening down the street the other day and saw for sale a 1951 dodge b3b truck and it's one of those things where you didn't know you needed, and then you saw it, and you thought, that's for me. So I went over and uh, talked to the guy, and pretty soon we closed the deal, and I'm now the proud owner of a very old, kind of rusty, uh, has run but won't start truck with brakes that don't work, and um, what else? That's about it. Uh, because there's not much to this truck. Um, the bed's a wreck, so I had to pull all the wood out of the old, um, the old truck bed. Um, the frame's intact, so that's cool. It's covered in gunk, so there's a lot of work there to clean out. But, um, yeah, like, I've never really worked on a car. I've been into cars in the past, but not recently. And now I live in Southern California, where there's a huge car culture. And, I don't know. I just thought, well, this will be fun. Not everyone has a truck like this. And it's simple enough that 
uh, I could probably figure it out as I go. I mean, I've done a little bit of work on my motorcycle, but changing fluids, swapping out some pieces here and there, no major work. I haven't taken the engine apart or anything. And so I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, now that's like rebuilding a truck in the abstract. Uh, the reality of it is um, it took a while to get a jack that would work just so I could lift the thing up and get the correct jack stands. Um, and once I got that, the first thing to do was to get the brakes working. And the problem is that has these old drum brakes, has drum brakes all around. They probably have not been taken off in 70 years. So they are <laughs> rusted on pretty hard. It's taken me days, days just to get one of them off. I finally managed to get one of them off with this big prying tool and a big torque wrench. And I went to the other one and I'm prying and I'm torquing and I'm prying and I'm torquing and there's this loud crack. And I think, aha, it's come off. It hasn't. What happened was the torque wrench snapped. So now I have to go get a new torque wrench after having the old one for two days. Oh so, my God. folks, the reality of <laughs> restoring these things, you think it's going to be like all plug and play and, ooh, won't this be fun? But it's really like, how do I get this stupid drum off the car? This doesn't want to come. And it turns out the answer is use a lot of force. That's so often the way, though, right? Hit it with a hammer as hard as you can until it until it budges. Well, you don't do that with your GraphQL API. <laughs> no, right? it's true. But I was going to say, welcome to the world of classic car ownership. This is basically they're a money pit that you love but hate, and have to basically pour your sweat, blood, and tears into continuously. So, yeah. That's been my experience anyway, but I think it's rewarding. I think there's like, there's something really nice about like working. This is su such a trope, but like working with your hands on a car and like, you know, doing it and taking this thing apart and like rebuilding <laughs> it. And I don't know. I, I, I've always really enjoyed that. I find it actually quite a relaxing thing. It takes your mind off a, a lot of other things as well so i think too i mean programmers are creative i think software engineering is creative um but at the end of the day you can have the system that works you can have all these lines of code but it's hard to point to a thing and say i you know i made this mm -hmm. and i know a ton of people who uh program during the day and they're into cooking or they're into woodworking um i mean i built my bed and a couple of bookshelves um, I love welding stuff. Like there's just something different about tangible things. Uh, yep. it could be gardening. I mean, whatever. So this kind of fits in with that for me. Yeah, no, it's super cool. I, are you going to give us regular updates about your truck now? Are we going to turn into truck talk? Truck talk? Well, I mean, the, one of the influences for this podcast was car talk. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So maybe it's come full circle. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give uh, some updates if I have anything to talk about. I got the one of the drums off. So I was like, yeah, we're halfway there. My friend was like, no, you're a quarter of the way there because there's four wheels. And <laughs> that was demoralizing. But um, I'm going to set up an Instagram account, which may exist by the time this episode comes out. So um, be sure to follow that along. I have a working name for the truck. Are you ready? I'm ready. The Colossus of Rhodes. Very, very good. <laughs> very good. Thanks. I'm thinking of chroming out pieces of it to look like, you know, Colossus the X-Man. Nice. Um, I don't know if you should chrome too much, but... You, know. mm, you say that. 
You like the chrome look? I mean, I got used to it on my motorcycle. Ah, uh, nice. Okay. By the way, for the listeners, Desmond would not tell me the name of the truck before the show because he wanted it to be a big reveal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I am let down or if that was good enough for the anticipation that, the, that he built up. So. Well, I'll tell you, I'm let down by your reaction. I was expecting something more. <laughs> I, I am thought so it was sorry. pretty clever. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's pretty clever. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What more can I say? I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe nothing. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe science best. is best. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I I think uh, it's very exciting to have a project, right? And it's nice that it's not programming. I think uh, for all of the listeners out there as well, it's important to have some balance in your lives. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm realizing that joining a very early stage startup as well uh it's something i'm definitely gonna have to work on so Mm -hmm. i've been getting out on my bike more and cycling and uh uh, that to me is like that equivalent relief of like not doing your job and being away and doing something very like physical and uh yeah Mm -hmm. feels awful while you're doing it but great after so yeah (laughs) it's all fun okay great (laughs) <laughs> well hopefully it's more fun when you're doing it no no i mean but like cycling is just like a brutal slog of pain basically like you don't get like there's like a saying which is like you don't get that much better it just like it doesn't get easier like you just get to manage mm-hmm. pain better basically you know because that, that reminds me um i was really into running several years ago and i still love to run but i got super into it i read born to run you know that whole thing and i was talking to someone about it the other day explaining like how great it feels you're so free and you're just like flying and you can see stuff and um and the person was like if running is so fun why do runners always look miserable it's true i didn't have an answer for that <laughs> it is it's pain as well right like you, it's not like think, pleasant i mean the first two miles are a little weird yeah as you kind of warm up but then it's like this is sweet i mean yeah like you're born to run our bodies are uniquely built for this is this why you bought those shoes those those like toe shoes oh the five fingers um they're so weird like they're the weirdest things and uh for the listeners as well like a couple of years ago at elixirconf desmond comes downstairs he's wearing like a suit a a like a button-down shirt that's like half unbuttoned and i look down (laughs) on his feet and he's wearing these like like these toe shoes you know these like five finger toe shoe things that are like so weird and they look even weirder when you're wearing them with a suit so and then he proceeded you you sung karaoke as well at that point i wore that outfit to a wedding one time (laughs) did you i was wearing a tie it was a wedding but oh you know that makes it better right well yeah i mean you gotta dress up for a wedding you got it you gotta dress up yeah um but no i'm right so maybe they look weird i mean they look normal to me now but um (laughs) when i was younger we used to play a lot of frisbee at summer camp and like we would always run around barefoot and i i hated running but i realized or i noticed at the time that if i was running around barefoot i would just never get tired Hmm. like you just run a lot more and so I don't remember how I came across the book. It was sort of like after its main thing, but it kind of clicked and brought me back to that. Oh yeah. Running barefoot is totally awesome and a very different experience. So I was like, screw the haters. I'm going to do me. Um, But I still get weird looks sometimes. 
Nice. Well, have you been doing any programming? Or are you mostly just on the truck? I've been trying to work on the truck. I was doing some coding, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago about something or other. But um, as you may know, I've been taking some time off. And it's really easy to get drawn into coding. Like, oh, I mean, I'll fix up a couple of side projects or do something here and there. But that turns into this and this turns into that. And you start pulling on the knot and suddenly you're like tweaking your distillery scripts. And it's like, I'm not here. I'm trying to get out from behind the computer and do something else. So, um, I mean, another nice thing about the truck is it's like a new fancy. So you wake up and that's what you think about. And it has the gravity of your attention. So if I write code, it's relegated to a side project or a side like hustle for just a little bit so I can get back to working on the truck. <laughs> but for the listeners, are you looking for anything? Yeah, I'm, I love having conversations with people and hear about what they're working on. So, nice. I mean, I have to get money at some point. And I don't <laughs> think I want to go back to like consulting as a full-time job. Mm. I mean, if anyone wants some training or some like advice or guidance, like call me up, happy to do uh, one off or short-term or part-time thing. Uh, but the sort of day in and day out, like work-a-day consulting is um, not interesting to me right now. I'd rather build something. So maybe a senior management role at a funded startup or something earlier as like technical lead, you know, building out the architecture, uh, growing the team, you know, connecting a company to the community, that sort of thing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the listeners, if you know of anything that meets that criteria, you should let Desmond know. I will not promise not to wear my five fingers to an interview. <laughs> what, a, what a compelling offer. <laughs> <laughs> I can just hear my name being scratched off right now. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's... What, what, what's new in the world of Elixir? That's, that's the big Elixir. question on my... Um, oh, wow. We, you know what? We've had guests on, on for so many episodes that I'm like, what do we do when we don't have guests? Um, but we actually have a guest on pretty soon as well, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. We have a great guest coming up next week. Um, somebody you may have heard of. I kind of don't want to give it away. No, but... we, sh- we shouldn't. We should wait. Although I was thinking about that. Like, we don't give it away, but then I'm like, we always put it on the name of the episode. So people who are listening to the episode probably read the title. Yes, I'm sure they do. <laughs> And then we always make it seem like it's this big surprise, but it never really is. So, uh, yeah, you know. Well, after my uh, botched um, reveal like 10 minutes ago about this truck name, I'm kind of inured to... <laughs> no more reveals. <laughs> so, I'm, I mean, the big news in the Elixir community this week, though, is that 1.9 uh, is... It's not out yet, but there was a... There's a RC zero, yeah, the first release came, candidate, which is and it is shaping up to be a great release, to be honest. Um, so this is the first Elixir release with releases inside of it. So mm. um, for everyone out there, you may have been used to using releases with something like Distillery in the past. Um, so what they've been working on for a while, the Elixir core team have been porting Distillery basically inside of Mix. And uh, it will now be part of Elixir. So there will be an, a way to build these releases just from using Mix without having to use any other dependencies as well. So, um, and the releases really allow you to like 
get a package of all of your code that you can then distribute in, and run as a single unit. You can put it on a Docker container. You can ship it to a server. You can do whatever you want um, there. So, yeah. Yeah, this is pretty cool because as Chris mentioned earlier, I think it's it reveals the growth of the community. Like when I started doing Elixir five years ago, there was not a great story around how do we deploy this thing. Do you remember like the first few like years of MPEX, we were all so focused on deployment. And I think we've talked about deployment like 12 times on this podcast as well, It's a big deal. I mean, what's the point of building an app if it never gets off (laughs) your computer? Right. And I I think like you're you're right, you're spot on, like seeing that, you know, we have a great dev experience, like user experience across Elixir anyway. And I think it's one of the like tenants of the language is definitely that. Um and I think like rolling releases into the language and having it as a core part just makes everything a bit easier for people, right? And it means there's one solution for doing it as well. Absolutely. And I think there's there's still a couple of outstanding, I'll call them pain points or things to be aware of. Uh, configuration. So configuration has changed um, in 1.9, which I will get to in a second. But when you're building releases, you still have to specify your release config. Um, that doesn't go away. And it's not smart enough to figure that out for you. So be aware of that. And then the other main thing about building a release is you must build it on the same hardware that you're going to deploy it onto. So if you're developing on your MacBook and deploying it to Ubuntu, uh, you cannot build that release on your Mac. You have to somehow build it in an Ubuntu environment. So that's going to continue to be a thing uh, for a while because when like part of building releases is you can package the Erlang VM into the release and deploy this one executable on your server. So your server does not need the VM itself. It just Mm -hmm. uh, runs. Although I've been curious. um, Oh, and the thing there is when it does that, it has to uh, use certain like system hooks that are different from architecture to architecture anyway. um, But you don't have to bundle the VM in with the release. And so I'm not sure if, you're not doing that, do you still need to build it on the same architecture? Like, is that the piece mm. that requires the same architecture? Probably, right? Uh, I, actually, honestly, I don't know. I, I, the advice I've always been given is, like, make sure you build it with the same. But I don't know if you don't bundle ERTs into the release. Mm-hmm. ERTs is the Erlang runtime system. If you don't bundle that in, does it still have to be built? I would imagine probably still, yeah, right? Like, But what's, like, what's being ported because at that point you right, just have it's like code, code package yeah I, I honestly i don't know the answer to that it's something that would be interesting to investigate or we if someone out the there knows yeah let us know yeah if you're listening to this and you know the answer and we know people out there know the answer and so i hope you're listening to this podcast but uh please tweet at us we'll retweet it we'll issue a retraction next episode because that's what we do um but i would love to know the answer to that question because if if the answer to well, I can build this or can I build this locally or on my architecture and deploy it somewhere else? It's just, yeah, as long as you have the runtime on the target system, like I can deal with that. That's cool. Right. That's not too, yeah. that's not too onerous. Like that's what we've been doing for years. So yeah, I, I, I like the like whole single package with like the runtime system integrated though. It, like it mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense to me, like that you end up with this single like tar that you can, around and move into docker containers and stuff so i i don't know i really like that part of the release process having yeah i think that like it is very tidy i think Mm. um if you're at a prototype stage 
and your like your infrastructure is somewhat stable um i think it's easier it would be easier just to build it locally and push it up instead of like tweaking your ci pipeline to build releases and making sure that you're pulling in all the config correctly on circle or whatever definitely um, and yeah it's lo- try to push that out as far as possible to getting your app to um where it needs that on that note i actually deployed to heroku for this for this project that i'm Chris. working on i know heroku <laughs> yeah and then i was just reading about like so for those who don't know like when you're running code on heroku if you're not dockerizing it you usually just run like mix phoenix.server which mm-hmm. will do the basically like um mix run no halt which will just keep the server running basically indefinitely and it'll boot phoenix do everything there um but when you're building a release you actually get some uh, advantages there in that you can load all of the code up front um it knows what code to load rather than dynamically loading modules um and it basically means you can get a bit of a faster startup time and first request time i believe i don't know about subsequent requests and how that works but um I guess like once it's loaded, it's loaded, so therefore it's fine. But yeah, it's it. I I've never seen like the performance differences between the two. But every time I've done like an um like an embedded mode one, it mm-hmm. always feels like it's faster. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this is a completely bullshit like non scientific measurement here. Well, when you build a release, it compiles down the code. It doesn't include your source code. Like I think it does a bunch of optimizations of the Erlang bytecode. So yeah, it like basically like preloads all the modules and understands what it needs to have loaded. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, I, that's going to be faster than just like running your code in development mode, basically, right? Yeah, although I still fit, I feel like there's. I don't. It still like builds and compiles, and then yeah. But you're right. There must be. It must be faster. So ah, feelings-driven development. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I wish I had some like good stats. I'm sure there's someone who's done some comparisons, but um, if you're yeah, out there, tweet at us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was interesting. Like just like doing the classic like Git push Heroku master. I feel like I haven't done that in a really long time. So. Mm-hmm. It was cool to do. But yeah, I mean, it sounds like the pragmatic choice for now. If you're trying to yeah, get something up and working, like... I'm I'm actually, like, going to... We've been trying to get, like, all these Google Cloud credits. So I'm trying to do a Google App Engine, which mm. basically I can Dockerize and then just throw up on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it that's basically another platform as a service. It's just... Uh, it's actually, like... Sorry, Heroku people, if there's anyone listening, like... It, it works out cheaper and then like in the long run and i'm also like heroku's have you dealt with like heroku postgres when it gets like big scale it gets really expensive yeah it, yeah, it does. like rds and other things like end up cheaper for the the, the uh, set of functionality you get um and so yeah i'm like i actually want to start off with like a good postgres db um ready to go so i'm going to use like google seek cloud sql whatever it's called because that's i mean that's really difficult to migrate later that yeah so like that's exactly my thought as well and like i've done that before and like the heroku like postgres stuff migrating it is a bit of a pain in the ass to be honest so yeah it is um i think that this is actually quite a good way for us to go and especially like we're trying to get some uh some first time credits so (laughs) yeah the cost benefit of investing in um like the proper data store up front is yeah. definitely worth it. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't want to like do Kubernetes up front or ever because oh, wow, <laughs> I was like, 
Yeah, I'm like, we shouldn't go there right now. But um, yeah, I don't want to do that right now, but maybe later on. Uh, but I, I feel like App Engine is a reasonable starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else in the 1.9 release you wanted to mention? Well, we should talk about the change in um, configuration. How yes. configuration is done. So in the past, uh, there is this config.exs um, script file that gets generated automatically when you create a new project. And this is not like an elixir source file it looks like one uh i won't be able to edit out this airplane um it looks like one because it looks like elixir code but it's not compiled hence the exs extension it's a script that's interpreted by mix and the problem is well there's two problems one is that when you're using this to configure your production releases you cannot use it to configure your production releases because mix doesn't exist in production um as part of releases so that that doesn't help you out you need kind of this parallel way of configuring your releases uh the other issue is that it's kind of an anti-pattern to configure everything um in a configuration file it means you can't change it on the fly and for a long-running system that prides itself on being able to live update and not go down configuration has always stood out as a like well why is this baked in at compile time so um, the language maintainers have been trying to push library developers and application developers away from using um, config exs to set uh, to configure your app, set your ecto repo. Um, I don't know, choose what port your endpoint is running on, and have that done at uh, runtime, which gives us a lot more options for changing it on the fly. So uh, with they are no longer generating that config.exs file. Instead, there is a mix.config. Sorry, there is. Uh, you want to import config into um, your files and then set up your configuration there. Mm. Right, right. Yeah, it is interesting. They're basically like trying to avoid the application environment, um, but they're saying that mostly for libraries, mm-hmm. right? um well which yes configuring libraries yeah this is all about library configuration and not application configuration right so like i understand that for libraries because it basically makes it harder if you've got like global configuration for someone to use multiple instances of your library right Mm -hmm. or or use it um like say you have two dependencies that that are included and they both depend on your library then that's going to be very difficult for them to be used in two different ways. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're trying to push people away from that. Um, but yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it does. I've just started thinking about something else. Um, <laughs> so like for, so there are no changes for like for, for Phoenix apps and like other Elixir apps. It's the same. Right. Uh, sorry, what's the same? Configuration? Yeah. That side, th- application configuration will be the same there. Yeah, I mean, you still, I mean, I would say application configuration includes things like what's the external URL I have to hit for some data source. Um, right, right. And that can be uh, injected via MVARs mm-hmm. that are going to be different from your like mm-hmm. compile time versus release mm-hmm. versus runtime, right? So I think we're going to move away from application.getenv, aren't we? Yeah, is that the, a, that's the pattern that we're trying to? I trying think to so. Use. I feel like someone needs to school us on this because uh, I felt like I had it clear in my head, but maybe I don't. 
please reach out to us over twitter yeah maybe we just don't know anything anymore <laughs> we should just turn the podcast over to the guests who yeah, always know more than that's we do. better <laughs> um yeah so i don't know i i feel like uh the runtime configuration makes sense right like having that as a separate file and that's what distillery was doing in the 2.0 release like clearing up what was compile time and what was like runtime which is good yeah that was obfuscated i think in a lot of configuration and caused a lot of headaches when people would go to deploy and uh wondering where their configuration is and then there was that workaround about exporting environment variables yeah the the uh the one that basically did string interpolation on it or string like replacement on it yeah so So it would like jack up your code in order to get it to work properly yeah but um but now there's like so the the new mix release is bundling in like conflict slash releases which is going to be runtime application configuration Mm -hmm. um and it says it is executed every time the release boots and is further extensible via config providers. So mm-hmm. that should give you a hook. And then they've basically done some other things where um, you can still get your VM args as well, which then gets put into the Erlang runtime as well. Yeah, that's cool because you can write your VM args as an EXS file. Oh, okay. As an EX file, as a template file. Uh, EX, yes, that's right. It's EX or e- EX, yeah. It's an EX file. And the same with the env.sh and env.bat files. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. So they can also be used to set up environment variables. There's one other uh, neat change that I want to call out. It's a small thing, but if you are running an Umbrella app and you want to run a test from the top-level directory and the test is in one of your child apps... Um, in the past, you had to CD into that sub app and run the test from there. You could you could run it from the top level, but it would try to run. It would look for that pattern in all of the uh, com the constituent applications, and it would work. But it would be kind of it would kind of noisily complain. Um, they've cleared that up, so now you can easily run tests in a sub app from the top of your umbrella app, which is cool because you don't need to keep CDing into these different different applications when you're developing yeah that's a nice quality of life change especially Mm -hmm. when you've got a big umbrella app Mm -hmm. it's good nice 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 all good changes so i'm looking forward to playing around with releases i think that's probably pretty soon on my radar so maybe i can report back once i've done that see how easy it is cool i am most certainly going to be dockerizing so and deploying it like that which... We'll put that on the docket for next time. But yeah, there we go. Uh, one other thing I think that we wanted to say is um, we're thinking about potentially traveling around and offering some more training courses. Yeah, that's a good idea. And <laughs> this is an absolutely like, fuck it, we'll do it live uh, moment. Um Right. <laughs> well, it's not like we script out this episode, or else no, we would true. do we the research out anything, and not always ask other people questions. Yeah, that's very true. Um, but yeah, anyway, so Desmond and I have really been thinking about like how we can help benefit the community a bit more. Um, and something that Pete Gamash said to us actually, which has it's kind of like stuck with me a bit. We were talking about like how do we get more people to adopt 
to like how do we get more people in the community and pete was basically like we got to pay more elixir engineers right and i think like the way that we get there is to get more companies to adopt it and i think the way that we get there is to spread the good gospel about the language more to other communities and go outside of what we know as well so just to clarify uh first of all it's gamash he corrected me on that last time so sorry that's for you pete um and Second, uh, to clarify what Chris said or what Pete said was not that we should pay developers. <laughs> it's that companies need to pay people to write Elixir. In other words, Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Um, people have to find Elixir jobs or else, I mean, the community is not going to grow. Yeah. And I, I think there's like, I think that, that you've seen a few really good examples recently of people reaching out from beyond the community as we know it. Um, Sasha Yurik is a great example, I think, of that. Like in his he did this like fantastic talk at Go to Chicago, mm-hmm. which honestly, if you haven't watched yet, please, please just go out and watch. We'll put it in the show notes. Um Great talk on the beam. Yeah, it, it's um the the talk title is like The Soul of Erlang and Elixir, and he just does such a good job of like showing the power of the beam and like why it's such a great runtime to be building systems on top of of all scales and sizes so um but i think that is a great example of like people going outside of the community and like showing others like why this is great and desmond and i want to start doing that on a different scale and see if we can be going around and teaching more classes so both of us have taught beginner elixir trainings at different points um over the last few years and both of us have taught elixir to quite a few engineers at this point Mm -hmm. as well um so we're thinking of traveling around to a few cities teaching and trying to encourage people from other communities to come do an immersive day workshop that we've run a few times here at mpex as well uh where you can go from your like oo language learn the basics of elixir and come away with a really very solid understanding of the language yeah and we're we're still playing with the format a bit so this is where we would like your feedback um i think it would also be nice to have people come out of this training like with the confidence to tackle their next project in elixir Mm. Um, because it's one thing to say all right i really understand how pipes work or how reduce works or whatever um but if someone doesn't feel like yeah okay i'm ready to take the plunge and write this thing in this new language and trust that I will figure it out as I go. I'll run to things I don't understand, but it'll be fine. I mean, that's how that's how companies get started. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, this is very fresh in the idea works. And, yeah, we got to think about it a bit more and develop it and figure out where we're going to go and travel around. But, yeah. So I have a call to action um, mm-hmm. for the community. If this is interesting to you, um, I think there's two pieces to this training. One is for engineers who want to skill up their Elixir or just want to learn it. Um, if that is you and you would like to see us come to your city, please reach out uh, because we don't n- know exactly where um, – the interest is so let us know if uh you think that would be cool for you if you run a meetup please let us know if they would be interested and the other prong of this is for not developers so i don't know how many non-developers listen to this or people who are managers or other senior tech leaders but we're also thinking of having a companion training that's not 
hands-on coding, but it's more, what is uh, this platform? Why is it interesting to your business? How does it strategically benefit you? Uh, what does it look like to hire? What are um, what are other business considerations? So um, yeah, taking a more businessy angle to it. I will probably not wear my five fingers to those discussions, but um, if that's interesting to you or to other people at your company, um, let us know because that's also a training we're considering. It's not training, but that's also a roadshow we're considering. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I think that's about all we've got time for this week, folks. Um, as always, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you could tell all of your friends wherever you're getting this episode right now by hitting that rating button or give us a bit of a review on whatever platform you're listening to this that would be much appreciated if you have any questions um we've given you a few prompts we'd love to hear from you um so if you could get in touch with us at twitter.com forward slash elixir talk or you can open up an issue on our github page which is github.com slash elixir talk slash elixir talk so comes to the end of the show as always but uh we both really appreciate you listening and uh hopefully you'll keep elixir keep elixir in see you next time